All right, will you please open your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to be uh, reading verses 26 through 38. This passage has traditionally been called the Annunciation, the announcement by the angel Gabriel to a young virgin girl named Mary that she would miraculously conceive a son who would be Israel's promised Messiah. And with just Christmas a few days away, it seems appropriate that we should set our attention on this passage this morning. Luke 1, verse number 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Our Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. God may... Your spirit come now, take this passage and illuminate it yet fresh again to our hearts. We read it every Christmas. We hear it all the time. Now take it, Lord, and use it in a new way to transform us for the glory of your Son. We ask these things in his name. Amen. So it it is not hard to see that in recent years, especially here in America and and really the West, Western culture, there has been an increasing increasing trend in our nation, in our culture, to secularize Christmas, to strip it of its distinctly Christian meaning. But no matter how hard the secularist may try, The essential reason for this annual celebration will always and forever be the birth of Jesus Christ. 
no amount of revisionist history or secularization can ever change that. And every year there's always atheists who file lawsuits against towns and places for displaying nativity scenes. And we've heard all the stories before. It's never going to change the fact that what we do on December 25th every single year is about Jesus. But for all the sentiment that images of a baby in a manger surrounded by angels and shepherds, (laughs) for all the warm sensibilities that that brings to us, Christmas actually confronts us every year with something that is increasingly offensive to our modern scientific era. And that is the idea, the reality of miracles. The notion that a virgin girl could conceive and give birth is ridiculous to the naturalistic mind. And in a day in, in which we're hearing all the time, follow the science. That's all we hear these days, isn't it? Follow the science. We must admit that science will never lead us to Bethlehem's manger, friends. Because what happened there, and in the nine months prior to that night, is scientifically impossible. Virgins do not conceive and give birth. Yet, the virgin conception of Jesus has been a core doctrine, a core belief of the historic Christian faith for 2,000 years. The ancient Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Those words have been uttered more times than we could imagine over the past 2,000 years. But the doctrine of the virgin birth has been increasingly questioned in modern times and now is being disputed and doubted by even professing conservative Christians, isn't it? In 2018, in an interview with William Lane Craig, who is a leading evangelical Christian apologist, that's the person who makes a defense for the faith, William Lane Craig was asked this by the journalist. Are you actually confident that Jesus was born to a virgin? Now, I want you to consider that question this morning. Because if you say you are a believer and you believe the words of this book, that question was not just one posed to William Lane Craig three years ago. It's a question posed to us every single Christmas. Do you actually believe 
that Jesus was born to a virgin. Here's how William Lane Craig replied. He said this, I'm reasonably confident. I don't insist on the inerrancy of Scripture. Reasonably confident that Jesus was born to a virgin? Friends, that doesn't seem to reflect the clarity of the historic creeds of the church, does it? Creeds that have been universally confessed by all Christians for two millennia. Reasonably confident. So the question before us this morning, before us this Christmas, is must we still believe in the virgin birth? Must we still believe that Jesus was conceived and born supernaturally, miraculously to a young virgin girl. In an age where science, or really what we have come to call scientism, has become the unquestioned arbiter of truth, can we still believe the Christmas story at all? that the eternal Son of God was born into our world through a virgin girl in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. To many today, to even many professing Christians today, it is a story that just is too fantastic to be true. But it is true, friends. And if we lose the virgin birth of Jesus, then we lose Christianity itself. Because Jesus then is not who Scripture says that He is. And so I want us to look yet once again at this miraculous conception of the Lord Jesus. And I want us this morning to recover all of the wonders and all of the hope that it holds for us today. And first of all, I want us to see that the virgin birth displays the gracious presence of God. It displays the gracious presence of God. Look at verse number 26 in your Bibles. In the sixth month... Uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Friends, let's pause for a moment and note that Luke was a historian. He chose every word carefully. And two times he has already mentioned the virginity of this young girl, Mary. Verse 28, And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There are five words in verse 28 that I want us to really focus in on. Five words that really sum up, that really capture the meaning of Christmas. They are the last five words of verse 28. The Lord is with you. That's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? The Lord is with you. Not in some sort of bumper sticker kind of way, some refrigerator magnet kind of way, some you know, sentimental, devotional kind of way. No, the Lord is with you, really with you. Matthew, who opens the New Testament with his gospel, he quotes the prophet Isaiah from 700 plus years earlier. Matthew 1.23, he writes this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive... Immediately, our scientific minds are blown. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so then, the virginal womb of Mary would be the means through which God himself would condescend and be with his people. And Gabriel can say to Mary then that the Lord is with you. Because through her baby, God is with us, you see. In the flesh, in the person of His eternal Son. John chapter 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then down in verse 14, John writes this, And the Word became flesh, like you and me, and dwelt among us. And so then R.C. Sproul rightly says this, What we celebrate at Christmas is not so much the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of God Himself. (laughs) God Himself. God with us the condescension of the Holy Creator into His fallen creation is a display of His glorious grace, is it not? And so Gabriel calls Mary the favored one, the blessed one, the graced one. In verse 28, in verse 30, he says that she has found favor with God. The word favor means grace. Favored one means to be the recipient of grace. And so Mary then is not a dispenser of grace, as some say. But she is a recipient of grace, just like you and me. 
In Ephesians 1, verse 6, Paul, the Apostle Paul uses the same word, the same original word that Matthew uses in in Matthew 1 for, I'm sorry, Luke for favored. Ephesians 1, 6 says this, To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed or favored us in the Beloved. The same grace that Mary received in the incarnation of Christ is the same grace that you and I receive, that all believers receive, in the redemptive work of Christ. It is the grace of God's presence among us. His presence is a display of His grace. And friends, you may be here today, or you may be watching, hopefully watching, if our equipment is working or listening online. You may be here today and you feel like God is a million miles away from you. I think probably we could all raise our hands if we were to be honest at some point in our lives. We have all felt that way. That God is nowhere near us. But every 25th of December, (laughs) we have a reminder an assurance that if God was with this teenage virgin girl 2,000 years ago, then God is with us today. Friends, look by faith in the manger and let your heart draw strength from the truth that God is with us. Secondly, the virgin birth displays the redemptive promise of God. You remember, we're considering the question, must we still believe the virgin birth? Is it still still believable? Is it a tenable notion in our day? The virgin birth displays the redemptive promise of God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God made a promise to Eve. I know a lot of people don't believe in Eve anymore, do they? Adam and Eve were just sort of mytho-history kind of stuff. They really wasn't real people. That's what we're told by many Christians today. Friends, Eve was as real as you and I are in these pews today. God made a promise to our first mother that through her female descendant, a Redeemer would come who would crush the head of the serpent and undo all the damage that sin had wrought on the human race. And now, (laughs) the Virgin Mary would be the instrument the descendant of Eve, through which God would fulfill that promise. Look at verse number 31. Gabriel says to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. That's Israel, okay? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's son would be called Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. This boy is not the son of a human father, but the son of the Most High. That's what Gabriel said. God is called Most High more than 46 times in the Old Testament. And so Gabriel wants Mary to have no doubt. He's leaving no question about the identity of her baby boy. He will be the Son of God. Mary's son, who is God's son, is also, as he goes on in the text, he's also David's royal son, who has come to fulfill the covenantal promises of God made to Eve, to Abraham and the patriarchs, and to King David, who were all long dead. Gabriel wants Mary to know that her son is the promised one of redemptive history. So friends, Christmas is not just a season for trees, and gifts and parties, it is the unfolding of God's master plan of salvation to save those lost in the darkness of sin and rebellion against their Creator. That's what, that's what Christmas is. One biblical scholar, one faithful, excuse me, faithful biblical scholar, not all biblical scholars are faithful, Not all biblical scholars believe the Bible, but this one does. His name is Stephen Wellam. He says this about this passage in Luke. He says, Luke sets Jesus' conception within God's plan, which creates the expectation that now in Christ, the Creator Covenant God is fulfilling His promises to redeem humanity and restore His creation. The virgin conception then, Wellam says, is not strange, though supernatural. Instead, it is the very demonstration that Jesus is in a category all by himself. Friends, if you ever fail to keep a, a promise... You've made a promise, you failed to keep it. I know as a parent I've made promises to my children with every intention to keep them, but either circumstances beyond my control or perhaps just my own failure as a father, I have broken my promises. But friends, there are no circumstances beyond God's control. And he fails at nothing. 
He controls every ebb and flow of human history. And He fulfills His promises then through the patriarchs, through the royal line of David, and now through the virginal womb of this little first century teenage girl from Nazareth. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 4 says this, When the fullness of time had come. In other words, when this particular chapter in redemptive history, this page had turned. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. His promise to Eve his fulfillment through Mary. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. To what? Redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. The Son of God, who is the promised Son of David, becomes the Son of Mary so that we might be adopted as sons of God. Or daughters of God. Friends, only a sovereign God could accomplish all this. <laughs> and so the sovereignty of God over human history to keep His promises is precisely what we celebrate every Christmas. Do you ever feel like your life is out of control? Like you don't understand how God is going to work everything out? Wondering if he's going to actually keep his promise to you? What is his promise to you? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is his promise to you and me. Well, life gets out of control. Look at the world around us. Watch the news. You see it. You wonder, how can things get more chaotic? How is God working in this? Friends, take refuge in the truth that God is sovereign over all things. He knows how to keep His promises. He is not simply responding to the bizarre actions of man. (laughs) He is sovereign over all of that. That is what the virgin birth is about, friends. It is the inbreaking of God into the fallen human story to keep His promise to Eve, to bring redemption to our devastated race. Friends, that is Christmas. That's Christmas. Lastly, in this passage, in this annunciation, we see that the virgin birth displays the infinite power of God. It displays the infinite power of God. After Gabriel shares with this young teenage Mary, you know, she's probably, I mean, commentators have basically concluded that she was anywhere between 13 and 16 years old. And Gabriel appears to her, and afterwards, when when he tells her that she will conceive which was scandalous because she wasn't yet married. 
She will conceive and give birth to a son. In verse 34, she responds. Look at it with me. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Friends, don't read this as unbelief. This is not unbelief. This is maybe a little confusion. (laughs) In the moment, confusion. She said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? How is God going to do this? 35. The angel said, answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Friends, Mary knew her Bible, which at this point would have been the Old Testament. And there were dots being connected in her mind. I can assure you, it's not overtly in this text, but she knew her Bible, and she was connecting the dots that we're about to connect here this morning. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He will hover above you, Mary. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. So she's old, she's barren, but she's going to have a son too, Mary. Why? Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. So friends, the virgin conception of Jesus Christ is the heart of what we call the Christmas story. But Mary's virginity was not a limitation for God. But instead, an opportunity for Him to display His power. Friends, this is the miracle of miracles. And I want to challenge each and every one of you this morning. If you... Do not believe in the virgin conception of Jesus Christ with every fiber of your being. You need to seriously question the condition of your soul this morning. Don't follow William Lane Craig. Well, I'm reasonably confident. Now, follow Luke. Follow Gabriel. This is the miracle of miracles. But yet so many professing believers, scholars and theologians today, they struggle with it. Here's the the dots we need to connect. Remember, this is the unfolding of God's redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the darkness of the void of creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the heavens and the earth were without form and void. And the what? Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the darkness of the void formless creation in Genesis 1 would now hover over the darkness of Mary's virginal womb 
and the human nature of the eternal Son of God would be conceived. That's orthodox Christianity right there. Science cannot explain it. Forget it. Our finite minds cannot comprehend it. (laughs) But Scripture affirms it. Scripture insists it. The Gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, they record it in almost a matter-of-fact way. They have no concern like some of our modern scholars and theologians or our apologists who try to explain it or to try to reconcile it with science. It is simply miraculous. But what do we see at the beginning of both the Old and the New Testaments but miracles that defy the naturalistic mind? In Genesis 1, We are confronted with the miracle of creation in six ordinary days. In the New Testament, we are confronted in Matthew and Luke with the miracle of the virgin birth. These these two miracles, as one theologian says, they stand guard at the doors of the two testaments of Scripture. Keeping out, refusing entry to all those who will not submit their naturalism to the power of God. Strangely, in our day, many Christians, even pastors and theologians, who believe in the virgin birth at the same time deny the miraculous creation account. (laughs) It makes no sense, does it? A God who can cause a virgin to conceive can create the universe in six days. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what Gabriel said here, is it not? Nothing. Not six-day creation. Not parting the Red Sea. We watched the video series for several weeks here on Wednesday evenings over the summer, I think where we witnessed scholar after scholar try to explain away the parting of the Red Sea. But nothing is impossible with God. Not causing a virgin to conceive or even raising the dead. So if the Bible is bookended is guarded, the doors of the Testaments are guarded by creation and the incarnation miraculously, then the life of Christ is bookended by his virgin conception and his resurrection. Friends, (laughs) nothing is impossible with God. He will do what He has determined to do. He will defy our materialistic naturalism and command us to submit it to this baby in the manger. 
verse 36, Gabriel wants to reassure Mary. She will not be the only one for whom nothing is impossible because Elizabeth, her relative, who is old and barren, will also have a son who will be the cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name will be John. He will be the prophet of the Most High. And so I wonder this morning, friends, do we have such a low view of God's power that we think that there is something in our lives beyond His ability to overcome for His glory and our good? If you feel that this morning, I urge you to look upon the virginal womb of Mary. And see the infinite power of God to do far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant. The word there in the original language means slave. She said, Lord, I am your slave. Do with me what you will. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Mary models for all believers, for you and me today in the 21st century, the proper response of faith. She sees Gabriel as the bearer of God's authoritative word. And she responds in obedient faith. But is that how we respond to God, friends? Do we submit in humility and faith or do we question and doubt? Because we just can't figure out how He's going to do what He said He was going to do. How He's going to accomplish His promise. This week, we'll come to Christmas. We'll sing our carols. We'll open our presents. We'll have our parties and family dinners. And if we're not careful, we will completely miss the wondrous truths that Christmas confronts us with. that God has invaded human history in the most miraculous way. And He has come to us in the person of His eternal Son to bring salvation to undeserving sinners through whose substitutionary death and victorious resurrection all who turn from their sin and believe on Him might be forgiven and made right with their Creator. Friends, that is the good news of the Gospel. That is the good news of Christmas. And may the Lord grant each of us the faith to believe that truth, that good news today. Let's pray.